Well, thank you very much, Alison. Right. Welcome. <laughs> Can't wait to hear what I've got to say after that. <laughs> okay, we're looking this morning at seasons of the soul through this term. And of course, that comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'll come to that in a minute. But when I looked at Ecclesiastes, I have to say, um, it's a rather strange book and I wasn't exactly encouraged because if I had to pick out one word that summarises the first two chapters, it would have to be the word meaningless because it's at the heading of each of the uh, paragraphs in the first two chapters. However, we do get on to chapter 3 and some lovely verses there. For example, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to root, uproot. A time to weep and a time to love. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And I think that's good. We know there are times and seasons. I think my only problem is knowing when we're in which season, if you know what I mean. So it can be a bit confusing. And as I was preparing this talk, I thought, well, how am I going to come at this? And then I read on in Ecclesiastes, and I found the verse that I really want to, it really brought things together for me. And it's chapter 7 and verse 8, which says this, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. And I thought, yes, that's it. How do we make mean, meaning out of our lives? It's as we look backwards, at least for me anyway. And so, I have to, looking around, I think most of us here, with some notable exceptions, most of us here are in the final third of our lives, would you agree? Yeah, yeah I think so, most. Um, and I think it's good to look back and to take stock to see where and how God has led us thus far. What lessons we can learn from that and how those lessons can teach us and inspire us as we live out the rest of our lives for the Lord. So this morning, I'd like to share with you, as briefly as I can, some of the key points in my life and how God has been there, guiding, providing, forgiving and empowering me. So, as I'm getting near the ripe old age of 70, I'm, I've divided my life up into seven decades as follows. So, here we go. Okay? Naught to ten. <laughs> yes, well, I had two sisters, but I never had a brother. And growing up, I don't remember ever having a close friend. You see, I was, and still am, an introvert. I'm happy with my own company. And although I didn't realise it then, I, I think I probably had some OCD tendencies. I won't explain that now because I don't understand it myself. But <laughs> I do remember at school, for example, that going into the dining hall to have school dinners, I got ever so frightened and anxious. And in the end, they had to take me out and feed me my school lunch in a classroom on my own. I could cope with that but not in the big assembly, all, all the noise. 
The only other thing I remember, well, I I didn't know then, but apparently um, one of my teachers told my mother that she thought one day I would write a book. Well, she didn't tell me that till later, probably just as well. Anyway, during that decade, I only had one ambition that I can remember, and that was to be a milkman's boy. (laughs) If any of you know what that means. They had just recently stopped delivering the milk with a horse and cart. Anybody remember when they used to do that? Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yes. Well, they just stopped that, and our milkman had a nice new electric milk float. Do you remember those? And he used to come down the street. I thought, oh, that'd be lovely to ride in one of those. And so one day I plucked up courage and asked him, you know, have you got any vacancies for me to be a milkman's boy? And he looked at me and said, well, Trevor, I'm very sorry, but it's all booked up every day of the week, except for Sunday. I've got Sunday free. How about that? Oh, yes, I said, I'll do that. And I was over the moon. Went back home, told my mother, and she was horrified. She said, but you won't be able to go to Sunday school and church. I said, I don't care, I don't matter. What's important about that? And she was not at all pleased. Now, she wasn't an evangelical Christian, in that sense of the word, but she really was upset that I wasn't going to church to Sunday school and learning about the Bible. Next thing, a week or so later, she said to me, right, I've arranged it, she said, you're going off with Vaughan to Crusaders. What's that, I said. Oh, never mind, it's some sort of Bible class, but it's in the afternoon, so you can still go there. And that's what I did. Okay, moving on to my next decade. Well, being in Crusaders, um, I started going to Crusader camps. And at the age of 13, at a Crusader camp on the Isle of Wight, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. And I probably never would have done that if I hadn't been a milkman's boy and my mother had sent me off to Crusaders. Isn't it amazing how God works? Okay, academically... I won a scholarship to a public school. But I have to say, that was rather a mixed blessing. I enjoyed the sport. In fact, I joined the Christian Union. More about that later. But I had six long days every week at school. And there wasn't much time for anything else. No time for outside interests, except crusaders, or for people for that matter. And again, I never formed any strong friendship. And I spent eight years at that school. That's quite a long time. But even after that, I failed to get into university. They all rejected me. And as a last resort, I went off to teach a training college. And I thought I wasn't all that pleased. Um, And I failed there too, (laughs) because the course collapsed on me. And as a result, I ended up in my academic career two years behind the the normal progression. And, you know, I was feeling, gosh, what's happening to me? But, in that time, I lived away from home, I worked in a factory, and I spent a whole summer working with children in the USA. Also, I discovered girls. And what a steep learning curve that was! (laughs) Okay, so, moving on into my twenties. Things happened quickly then. I met Molly. I graduated. 
I married Molly, I qualified as a teacher, and I started my first teaching job at Midhurst. Those were all steep learning curves. But the biggest steep learning curve for me at that time was in actually getting into the classroom and teaching young people. Some of them were only seven years younger than I was. It was a daunting prospect. And I hated it. I really did. Again, probably because I was an introvert, I didn't like putting myself out there six times a day in the classroom. But there were two good things that happened there. First of all, I discovered a love for drama, which I guess had always been there, but I didn't know it. And also, I managed to set up a Christian union. And remember I said I joined the Christian union at my school and also at Goldsmiths College, where I was uh, studying. And so, setting up a Christian union there was a great joy, and uh, as far as I know it carried on after I left. And I also was able to do that in my next school, which was Rodborough at Milford. And all this time, I didn't realise it, but God was training me. Me, an introvert with OCD tendencies, and yet he was still working on me. Okay, let's go into the 30s now. We had two children by then, and my teaching skills and Molly's teaching skills came in very useful in parenting them. And they were a real joy to us. A challenge sometimes, they were hard work sometimes, but it was lovely being parents and having school holidays to spend with them and training them up. That was great. Also, we were, of course, by that time a part of the church here. And I got involved in teaching and discipling young people's groups in the church. And alongside Molly, we taught children from all ages, from the age of three to up to 17. We also got involved in home groups. And that also was a bit of a challenge. How could I um, relate to other people when I'm feeling not, not feeling that happy about um, relating to other people? But we did, and we, we've, been, we've led home groups for years, didn't we, I think? You know, I'd never been able to do that if God hadn't used my academic failures when I was younger to guide me into teaching. I'm, I'm now so pleased. I would never have wanted, never wanted to do another job than that. Um, I, I was pleased about it, but at the time I wasn't. One other thing. In my 30s, do you remember that primary school teacher who told my mother that, oh, one day I think Trevor's going to write a book? Well, here it is. 1985, that's my first book. You can come and have a look at it afterwards if you want to. There are three others here as well. Um, Again, amazing that that should happen, but it did. I guess I always loved English, always loved words. Um, that's what the primary school teacher saw in me, I suppose. So things were looking up, I guess. Okay, let's go into my 40s. After about 50 job applications, it was hard work, and again, I didn't interview very well, I finally became a head of department, a head of English. But you know, that too was a mixed blessing. I enjoyed the responsibility of running a department, 
but I didn't really enjoy managing people and I, I made some bad mistakes really in relating to the people I was uh, supposed to lead. And I realised then that I'm not basically a committee person, I'm afraid to say. It hasn't been all that good when I've been on committees and things. I'm still not. Um, and that may be, I think that is a weakness of mine. But, as the t-shirt slogan says, be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. <laughs> Do you remember that one? We were all wearing those in the 80s, I think. Anyway, there's, there's one new development. This building here actually became part of Three Counties Church. We used to live, uh, used to uh, worship in Kings Road, of course. And this was the home of our second congregation. And throughout the 90s, I had the privilege of preaching here every month. It was amazing. I don't know how that came about, but <laughs> Dick and Jonathan asked me to do that. And I realised that being an English teacher for 20 years had in fact uh, prepared me for this. Being in front of lively teenagers who needed challenging and having to prompt them and inspire them to think through problems, that prepared me for this new challenge. And it became a great joy to be able to do that. Okay, let's go into our fifties, my fifties now. Molly and I had gradually felt God calling us to teach and serve him abroad. And family circumstances uh, and everything helped to bring that about. Um, there was nothing stopping us when we got to the year 2000. And the result, as a result, we became missionary teachers at Chengelo School in Zambia. We were there for almost nine years. And I have to say, this was the time of our lives. We loved it. All the teaching, and for me, the speaking, the preaching, leading home groups, which we both did, both adults and young people. Also, I found I loved uh, and had the opportunity of directing school plays. Do you remember I, I found a love of drama at Midhurst? I was able to direct ten plays while I was there. It was great. But then, at the end of 2008, some of you may know this, I became very ill with cancer. I had to be rushed back home and I nearly died ten years ago. It was very close. I had lymphoma and uh, although I recovered from that, um, it came back again in 2011. So, you know, I was thinking, well, thank you, Lord, you've saved me, but boy, that was a na narrow escape. And it made me think about the rest of my life. And so, we were at New Wine in 2012, and I went to a seminar, and I was invited to become a speaker for Open Doors. It's been mentioned already. That it's a fantastic privilege and I love doing that. And it took me out of myself because I wasn't talking about myself, I was talking about other people, other persecuted Christians. And there's a great need. And if you, you're not in, you don't know about the work of Open Doors, please get involved, please find out. There's a lot of material at the back there. Please take a magazine and inform yourself of what's going on in the world. Because these are our persecuted brothers and sisters. And it's, you will find, as I've found, it's heartbreaking to hear such stories of courage and cruelty, to see God's power and his pity in people, to, to see his love and long-suffering for his people. 
it really is a worthwhile ministry and I've loved every minute of that. But then in 2014, Jonathan Carter invited me to become part of the speaker's rota at Shottermill House. And I did that and found I enjoyed that as well. And obviously these are people um, near the end of their lives, but I realised that there's, there's a, a, an opportunity, there's a mission field really, almost there. And they need pastoring and loving and teaching as much as any of the rest of us. So that became a real joy as well, and I'm still doing that today. And then in 2016, I was just coming to the end of, of my teaching career, I suppose, then. Um, Ian said, would you like to join the Gideons, Trevor? I said, oh, all right. <laughs> and I got involved in the school's work, and I found that it was great fun, great joy. And uh, uh, I, I love the fact we give away now some New Testaments to over 1,500 young people every year. Wow, what's not to love about that? Fantastic. And one bit, I can't resist putting one bit of irony in. As, as a Gideon, I have spoken to far more assemblies than I ever did as in 40 years as a teacher. Well, that's the way it goes. I'll tell you about that afterwards if you want to know. So in total, uh, I reckon I'm speaking about to, uh, each year now, I'm speaking on about 50 different occasions. And I thought, how did that happen? You know, this is me, the shy, introverted, clumsy, oversensitive boy born 69 years ago. I don't know. But that's me. How about you? Can I recommend to you that you do what I had to do to prepare this talk? Go through your life and see how, when and why God was working in your life. Because he was working in your life just as much as he was in mine. And remember, God hasn't finished with me yet. All right? He hasn't finished with you either. All right? We can't sit down and say, that's it, I'm retired, no more. No, God's got a purpose for you. I'm still in my 60s, but not for much longer. You might be in your 70s. God's still got a purpose for you too. Ask him. Ask him why and how he's been already working in your life. Ask him how he wants to use you in the days and years ahead. And if I can just quote one more verse. Remember Romans 8.28 We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You and I have been called according to his purpose. Everything in our lives is working together for good if we allow God to, to do that in us. God's got a purpose for you, whether you've got 10 years left or 30 years left, or maybe more. 50 years in Jack's case, or more. <laughs> What's God's purpose for you? Ask him. Find out. I can testify to the fact that God used everything in my life, things that I didn't enjoy at the time, to make me the person I am today. 
and I'm loving it. We're going to sing, I think, a couple of songs before we finish. I'll allow Marion to introduce them. One is, I think, faithful one. God is faithful. When we think he's missing and he's not there, he is there. And we, if we open our eyes, we can see what he's doing in our lives every day, every year. And then I think we're going to finish with a hymn that we all know well, Love Divine, All Loved Excelling. I'd like to read to you the last verse of that hymn because it really sums up what God is doing in our lives and what he wants to do in the rest of our lives. And when we come to that, I hope we'll all pray that prayer to say, yes, God, this is what I want in my life. And this verse goes like this. Finish, then, thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. Thank you.